Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. Hey. Gotta take a sip of coffee. It's morning for me. What's your coffee um, method and uh, research and mm. production and yeah. inventory? I know you don't drink coffee. I use uh, the original coffee maker for brewing at home, a Mr. Coffee. Um, oh, is was, were they the ones who invented the drip coffee? Mm-hmm, yeah. And uh, okay. they have, you know, have gone through some of the worst logos in their 30 and, or 40 and when, history. when was that? Because I, I have no idea, but people used to just make coffee in a pot like you see in, in cowboy in Westerns. Yeah, they would do like the Italian kind of style or French press yeah. or, you know. But this idea of like in America, I think, of, you know, you press a button and it drips out slowly into a pot. Yeah, that's Mr. Always Coffee the invented dream. that. It seems like the the American dream is to work so hard you don't have to work, mm-hmm. which is very funny. Yeah, it's also rare that an assistive device though is named Mister. You know, these days yeah. we like to gender things that help us as women, but uh, Mister Coffee is the original male helper. Yeah, in in uh, in Japan, there's a chain called Mister Donut. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird to gender things, to be honest with you, in a brand. Um, but, it, I mean, the most recent examples would be Alexa and Siri. I, I feel like it's going gonna, it's gonna to flip every 10 years. And then mm-hmm. at some point, it's really weird to gender things. And then people are like, no, it's fun to gender mm-hmm. things. And and maybe to do the opposite and to play with it and be playful. In Japanese, yeah. uh, in Japan, like everything is... Uh, char- like there's a character for every company, right? There's like a, a mascot, so... Yeah, I think so. I think that's a long-standing tradition. And in America, that was the tradition, too, with, like, the Michelin Man and things like this. Um, what's another example? A classic uh, mas- American mascot. Well, Mickey Mouse, yeah. Well, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, that was an actual yeah. character in a character. Like it, I feel like Mickey Mouse is just Disney wasn't selling tires for, for capitalism yeah. in general. Mm-hmm. Just, like, for America. It's the... What else is the mascot for America? I would say it's Mickey Mouse. Not, not the Michelin Man? <laughs> like a man made of tires, white wall tires? No. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but no, the Michelin Man was... Uh, I'm trying to get you to your segue too soon. but No, no. We, we don't have to do the segue. You, you could talk about your week or your coffee ritual. Like, Did you go through a sort of barista moment where you had an espresso machine and you... Um, yeah, I did. And I, and the espresso sucked like compared to like, you know, when you've, ha- you don't really realize how good some coffee shops are until you've tried a really good one and then gone back to Starbucks or something like that. Similarly, yeah. you don't know how bad, you know, home coffee is until you buy an espresso machine, try and make it yourself. It's like w- worse than oh, Starbucks okay. kind of thing. So, so you're saying drip coffee at home is fine, but espresso is too hard to do well mm-hmm. i know you don't drink coffee but like it's just like yeah, i wouldn't know you, but you do drink fine green tea like in I, yeah and sometimes it's got like roasted buckwheat and stuff or whatever um similarly in coffee like there's a lot of nuance right yeah, yeah but i'm curious about your ritual yeah my ritual in the morning is just to brew uh, oh, no, no, about your history. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. interested in your, your trajectory because it feels like everybody has this coffee tra- trajectory where you start up what your parents drink. I didn't drink coffee co- until, uh, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, like every yeah. day. And then I w- started working in tech and there's like a coffee machine at work. Ah. And then I was like, oh, okay, I'll do that. Well, that was the same thing. Like I, I always refused to grow up. So there's all these things you have to do when you grow up. You're like, you have to learn to smoke cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And you have to learn to drink coffee. And I just 
refused. I was like, I want to stay a child. It's much better. Did you ever smoke? No. Mm-hmm. And then, so... Well, you have the no smoking logo. I've always wondered, like, yeah. did that come from... Because my parents were smokers and I hated it. Oh. I just thought it was disgusting. That's another story. But but um, what's interesting is, you know, I, I just didn't want to grow up. Like I, Everything that is related to growing up seems stupid. Mm-hmm. Owning a car, g- getting kids and a house, all this mm-hmm. just seems stupid. And coffee was one of those things. So I went to art school. Certain people drank coffee, but I didn't grow up with them. And then... I saw my friends, and you don't really see your friends in the morning. You go for lunch or you go in the evening, and then I was in the morning, and a couple of my friends were drinking coffee. I'm like, what happened? I'm like, oh, yeah, man, when you, when you start working, you just need it. You just can't do the workday without coffee. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt like I had, yeah, it's like, huh? I thought we were friends. Yeah. Well, in some ways, like, uh, yeah, it's hard. It's socially normalized to the extent that, like, you know, if you're going to meet up with someone for a meeting, it's either coffee or drinks. So, you know, and for a large, like half the planet drinking. Let's is have like, a coffee. Yeah. You know, yeah. like is not an option. And so, yeah, coffee then is like, okay, safe bet on the coffee thing. And they can always, yeah. you can always get tea though, I guess, right? If you're in that case. Yeah. And then the, there's the thing where I think a lot of people are into really good coffee. Like a coffee shop can have a espresso machine that costs a hundred hundred fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars and it's like tuned once a month by the company and it's a, it's it's really they take it very seriously and you have to have it you can't just have an espresso in a coffee shop and be like oh that's it's hard to explain to you though like how bad starbucks coffee no no is, i i understand <laughs> but my point is when people go out for coffee yeah. it's fun because it the 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 craft of it has gone no up you know what I, but what and, and, no no yeah. okay, let me finish yeah. You're the interrupter today. Yeah. But my point is, there's very few tea shops that take, mm. uh, coffee shops that take tea seriously. Yes. So my tea at home is much better usually. There's two or three tea shops in, in uh, Japanese tea shops in New York mm-hmm. wh- that make matcha very well. And, and then there's a bunch of more chain matcha stuff where they have a mechanical whisk <laughs> instead of a hand whisk. And then you already know, like, no, 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 that's not going to work. <laughs> so... My point is the coffee lovers have it easy. Everywhere around the world, there's specialty coffee stores and et cetera. But for tea, there's not that same. And I think it's, you know, back to the industrial ritual of waking up and working hard and all that stuff. It's like coffee is really necessary to get through the day. And then Mm -hmm. people started to incentivize it and make it appealing. And same with wine. If you're into wine, you can get there's special wine everywhere. There's clubs to enjoy wine, yeah. etc. Yeah. So for you, like, if there's no way you would ever drink tea with just like a tea bag with the thing hanging over the side. I do, like in a diner, and and mm. you, you get the Lipton, and then hopefully they have green tea, and it doesn't taste like much, mm-hmm. but it's still it's okay. But what I'm saying no, is, no, no, that's a good example the, though, because like in a diner, yeah, I'd accept I'm, burnt coffee. I'd be like, yeah, it's burnt coffee, but it's a diner. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but for you. When you say, let's go for a coffee, you could go to a really good one and enjoy coffee that's better than what you have at home. Yeah, no, the other day, I, someone was like, I was meeting someone for the first time, like we just described, and they're like, yeah, let's meet at the Starbucks. And I sent them an emergency message being like, please, can we not meet at Starbucks? Well, the the, the green tea at Starbucks is a sort of jasmine tea, and it's not bad. I like out of all. You the, know what's funny? That's the, what I got. I got green tea, ice green tea, when I was there because I was like, I can't stand yeah. their coffee, but I, I, I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the green tea is really not bad. 
but it's not great either. But mm. compared to all the other chains that serve green tea as well, like if you're at the airport, yeah. the, if I'm in an airport, I'm happy to see a Starbucks. Oh, Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. In Canada, the big chain, in addition to Starbucks, is Tim Hortons. It's, I don't know if they have it in New York City. Um, the name sounds familiar. It's, he was like a hockey player, fittingly, and uh, he opened a chain of donut and coffee shops. Was that in Wayne's World or something? Probably. Yeah. I mean, there's one, if you're in Toronto, it would be like you're on a street corner, just like Starbucks. There'd be like one on the street corner and sometimes two. And you'd be like, why is there two on the same street corner? It's the weirdest thing. There was a Starbucks on Canal and Broadway or Canal Lafayette, Mm -hmm. like a very busy corner. And I saw Richard Branson walking out of there with a big smile. Hmm. I've seen Richard Branson casually three times. Like I was at the Standard Hotel in Miami, and I think he was doing research for his hotel. So mm-hmm. He always has the biggest smile. I was about to say, did he always have a smile? Because I don't think I've ever seen him not smiling, to be honest with you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's like that Japanese businessman. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say he's one of my uh, idols, though, like in business. Really? Yeah, because... Someone, someone wrote this tweet... That, I think Daniel Keller wrote a tweet like, has any of Richard Branson's businesses succeeded? Yeah. And he succeeds primarily by coming into a market with an, like a, they, something that but already his exists. His airline filled, but it was great. Yeah. Basically, what, all he does is he takes an existing category and he makes it good customer service like or, you know, some there's some delight that he adds but to a couple, it. Like Virgin Coke didn't go anywhere. Virgin Airlines, unfortunately... It was a better experience. Did you ever fly Virgin? It was way better. Yeah, it was great. It was great. But so it wasn't profitable. Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, it's hard to make the customer service margin, you know, kind of work. And airlines already have super thin margins. But I think Virgin Rail in the the UK is still still pretty popular. Yeah. Um, Virgin Virgin Mobile. Mobile. Yeah. I mean, that was the youth kind of brand, but better prices for the same quality. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, so the reason I love him generally as a business person is he has this one saying. And so maybe, you know, probably if I scratch, I'll find out he's a horrible person. You know, but uh, it's that a business should take care. If you take care of your team, your team will take care of the customer and the customer will take care of the business. Oh, yeah, yeah. That sounds like you. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's... When are you starting a real business? (laughs) Me? I've started many businesses. I have a... No, no. But one that, when are you going to start the business? Oh, the Branson business? Makes lots of people happy. Yeah, it's coming. I'm waiting for it. I need some of my seed capital. But not, not a symbolic uh, art project business, but a real business that scales. Like, mm-hmm. Let's say Match it doesn't have business. to be something fun, but something I, I imagine you've, you've uh, practiced for. How long have you been working in, in management capacity? Mm, I mean, since I was uh, probably... I started directing in my like 19, 20 kind of years old, uh, probably like in a real, but like taking it seriously, I would say only 15 years probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's say 15. So do you feel, is there any business that you feel like uh, there's a niche that's untapped? I'm always looking for those opportunities. It's funny how you mentioned there's no good tea in America. Uh, while you were talking about that, I was thinking, 
at ClearCo, one of the reasons I went there is we funded businesses, right? And I wanted to meet all these different founders and what inspired them. Yeah, you've them. learned so much. That you've, yeah. you've spoken to so many people. Yeah, yeah, I've spoken to you know thousands of founders at this point. But like one of them was Ma- this company called Matchaful, and it was like exactly what you said. They're like, there's no good matcha in America, so you know, I started this business to like yeah. make matcha accessible. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it starts with like identifying a need. And the problem I've had... But sometimes it starts with the, um, your own passion. Your own problem. Your, it's a cheesy word, but no, no, you're, right. you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. But what the, I think a lot of the problems I've uncovered over the years have been problems w- uh, in the art world. Now, the problem with that from a business standpoint is that basically the customer has no money. <laughs> I know that sounds really horrible, but it's like... But how is that true? There is an art business. There, there are things being sold. No, no, no. But like, you know, issues that I've had as an artist, like, um, you know, you'd, I'd have to deploy, like the existing business models, like uh, selling art um, require you to take some margin over the artist. I, I suppose it makes sense. No, it's just, it's a business that mostly runs on rich families. Yeah. So it's a different economic structure than uh, anything else. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like recently, we it's it's a trust fund business. Yeah. I was talking though about pricing for the creator economy at work this week, and you know, if you look at like most of the entry level creative, uh, like businesses for creator and creative types, they almost all take the same business model approach, which is a percentage of sales. And and then I was like, oh, that's what galleries do too, right? The fifty percent that I've always despised. Gumroad just, you know, do you know Gumroad? No, they allow you like sell digital products online really easily. Um, they just got you know the, the CEO raised prices. Uh, it's in and he got in a, there was a huge uproar. And do you want, do you want to know how much he raised prices to? No, of course you do. Sure, yeah. <laughs> to ten, no, no, I'm, 10%, I'm confused. I don't know what it is. But ten percent, like on every sale, goes to Gumroad. There's it's otherwise a free product, right? So if Wait, you don't but what's sell anything, Gumroad. Gumroad just lets you sell digital stuff. It's like a wrapper, you know, like a payments wrapper for like a digital product. Like Bandcamp. It's like blockchain without the blockchain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like Bandcamp. Okay, okay. Um, yeah. But 10%, like, you know, if compared again to the gallery world of 50%. Yeah, or 30% for the app store. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, or 30%. You're like, okay. Anyway. Well, I'm, I'm uh, we've been working on my own, what they call Artblocks engine. So mm-hmm. you, you could take Artblocks's backend and I'm starting my own portal mm-hmm. or shop or web page whatever the front end is done and we have to wait for them to deploy the contract and so it should be running in two or three weeks but that's uh, they take 10% on Artblocks main and also on Artblocks engine and okay yeah I'm fine I'm fine with it because I come from the world of 50%, 50% yeah. but for a lot of my friends who are code their own uh, solidity, their own Web three stuff, they're like, "Oh, the ten percent is kind of steep. That they're, they're not doing that much because <laughs> they don't do the marketing. You have to do that." Yeah, and by you know comparison, your Stripe or PayPal might take two percent on a transaction or something like that um, yeah. to process yeah. a credit card. Yeah, but they've been very helpful. The whole process. There's someone uh, who replies all the time and helping you. Uh, get out the bugs and, and uh, mm-hmm. figure things out. So mm-hmm. I, I'm happy with it, yeah. I'm very excited to have this, uh, the, today's topic, uh, freedom, uh, to have this freedom where I just have my own platform. And mm, I see what you did there, yeah. a little segue. Yeah. <laughs> segue artists. It feels free, but I, I wanted to talk about all the contradictions of freedom mm-hmm. because, of course, we've been conditioned. We live in this era of 
uh, we must be productive. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the whole conditioning. I think there were other eras where it was mm. very cool to be unproductive. It's funny you say that. Last night, Kristen was kind of grilling me on this. Like She's like, the problem with capitalism is it requires continuous production at continuously more efficient rates. And so... You know, the, the students that I train today need to do twice as much as the students from a generation ago or something. And I was like, not sure I agreed entirely um, because in my lived experience, there's also been all of these efficiencies that have come from like, if I think of the, like what's possible in digital production now that wasn't, that I used to do manually, um, I can accomplish more. But her point was like, thinking didn't get any faster in the last 20 years. Um, and learning didn't get any faster. Like you can still only learn at the same rate or think through a difficult problem. So, so for example, you have the photo camera. That's, that's the easiest example always to talk about mm -hmm. efficiencies. So it would take a lifetime to draw a portrait of someone. And then the photo camera comes along and it's the push of a button. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, but it's something different, I guess. Uh, ultimately. Yeah. And then with every category, with every invention talent comes in and some people are better at taking photos than others and and then you have to practice pushing the button yeah well part of her point was and this will get us to freedom is like a lot of times like so i was like why can't you like students they can use the internet now to get an answer to any question without having to go to the library and like look through the dewey decimal system pull the book off the shelf look for the passage pull that off copy it by hand into a notebook because you can't photocopy it or whatever like you know, the internet makes it possible to retrieve information at speeds that would have considered impossible like a generation ago, right? So, but then she's like, well, actually, you're not allowed to use it in the classroom. And I'm like, well, that's ridiculous, right? Kids can't use their phones it, it, in the classroom. It, it does seem there's people, it's just their base emotion, their being, and some people love technology and some people, it makes them nervous. Mm -hmm. Well, no, but it, to the point about, you know, if the topic today is freedom. She said, well, we can't, you know, kids can't have phones in the classroom. And she doesn't agree with this. But the reason being is they can't be trusted to use it productively, like to, yeah. to use it for learning. It's a distraction machine because yeah. it, it is by, by design, designed to ask for your attention at all times. Mm -hmm. That's the whole function of it that, from a business perspective. It's an attention economy. So if you're trying to learn... Of course, that phone, if you're paying a teacher 100000 a year to be there, and then you put this phone in front of the face between right. the student and the teacher. It'd be like, let's go teach, let's, let's learn like 18th century history at the candy store. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 like, exactly. Uh, <laughs> let's learn, a, I guess you could, in a play, that's actually, that's not a bad example, because if you go to the candy store, you can get all their focus and be like, well, sugar production started in the 18th mm. century or whatever it's particularly when you it's the relationship between the performer and the audience that's the teacher-student relationship and it's the same in comedy clubs they often ask you to seal your phone because they don't want you to record stuff but it also makes the show better when everybody yeah gives it their full attention yeah yeah i mean there's tons of studies on this in terms of focus and attention and the reason i think it it does play into like because you're like, you know, you're, I think you're one of the things you're just saying briefly before the podcast is like America is built on this concept of like, you know, everyone has freedom. But if you look around, it doesn't seem very free, right? Yeah. Well, that, that, that was the reason I wanted to do this podcast without getting too political. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, there's a history of slavery. There's a history of class struggle, all those things. Mm -hmm. But 
the myth of freedom in general, and when people say land of the free, just in my class, in my life, it seems people are a lot more free in Europe than in the U.S. And, but how would you describe freedom in that case? As far as spending your time the way you want. Mm. So it's the freedom to do whatever you want to do. Yeah, to expand, like the, the, the best example it, that's close to me is that this whole invention of internet art mm-hmm. seems like it happened a lot in Europe because there was not so much pressure to sell because there's mm. grants and there's things. And so America seems like, oh, you're free to do whatever you want as long as you're making money. Yeah. I mean, and one of the narratives that pops up in America and in Canada too, by the way, and I think in Europe is this concept to get you to freedom, you need a universal basic income because the idea of financial pressure is what prevents. Yeah, but I I, I don't want to. No, no, no. I'm just saying like, because you mentioned the, you know, the the pressure to sell, right? As being like a. Yeah, but but maybe the freedom thing goes further than money. It's the spirit of your environment. So one of the things I noticed in the U.S. is when they do universal basic income like the ppp program mm-hmm. immediately the scamming and the entrepreneurial side of the u.s <laughs> right. goes up how much of this just, can i get yeah i'm gonna start a business to help people suck this up <laughs> as fast as possible <laughs> and so i know that's that, what yeah. i mean what i mean with freedom is is not the law and it's not um it's the psyche it's the mm. the the vibrations of of the soil i don't know what it is but it's you can have the same law in every different country, in Russia or in Sweden mm-hmm. or in Spain or in China, and it has a totally different outcome. And and well, that was interesting. What I mean by, yeah. But what I mean by freedom is you have ideas and you think you had those ideas because you're creative, mm-hmm. but it's like, oh, you grew up in that environment with those parents, in that school, with those friends, mm-hmm. and it, that's the outcome. Well, you're referring to like social determinism to a certain... Yeah. So social yeah, determinism, that's, that's, basically... Yeah, and, 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 yeah. and, and, and uh, etiquette and expectations and pressure and all these things. But, the, you yeah. know, the, yeah, there's the theory that we actually don't have much choice. It's kind of decided for us based yeah. on our social circumstance as soon as we're yeah, born. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And statistically, that's true. Uh, has that's what my, like four years of sociology taught me that statistically, you're absolutely correct. You have almost no People choice. People are predictable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, upward mobility so the, the, is kind of like, set from birth. Yeah. So group psychology, when when you start looking at groups larger than a thousand, or I don't know what the number is, things become predictable. Yeah, exactly. Like as soon as you 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 get statistical significance depending on the group at, at different scales and uh, the amount of data available. But yeah, like that's just it's a safe assumption that you can start to make some assumptions that are, you know, well, one, one within of, a margin one of, of error. Th- correct. So maybe that the topic is freedom and mass psychology. So and so we think we have all these choices. And I've, a friend of mine works in ad tech, not fintech, but ad tech, and I'm like. Does advertising even work, or are they just selling less slots less. because they have to? Less yeah, and less, but, it's actually like diminishing yeah, but returns. So advertising is interesting from the freedom point of view where, okay, uh, let's say you're going to a wedding and you need a new suit, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody buys suits all the time, so you're kind of going in and you're going to do a little research. You're going to figure out your price range, uh, your style, maybe you go on Pinterest. All right, you're going on Pinterest something happens, something is flagged that you're looking at a suit and they know that there's a wedding coming up, they looked at your inbox. Mm -hmm. And then can they nudge you to go to Nordstrom instead of Bloomingdale's, instead of 
Macy's instead of whatever. Mm -hmm. Like that's the thing, and 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 then if you go in a step meta even further, it's like why do you have to wear a suit? Why do people have to get married? Mm -hmm. Why that and, and like you get into all these structures of expectations and social norms, and and so I'm fascinated with this idea that yeah, I'm totally free to choose my life partner and do anything I want, but, and you end up doing exactly what's expected. I mean, in some ways, artists are to blame for that because artists, the, the original idea of kind of like uh, aesthetic progress and um, fashion, you could probably tie back to artistic progress in various like fashion movements that came out of art. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's an illusion that there is something new and better um, that, you know, but that if, for example, you were in school and mm -hmm. you went towards video and then you went towards internet video specifically. Mm -hmm. And of course, that was, you were early, but it was logical. Oh, a kid growing up in that part of the world of with that technology, it's going to be internet video. Yeah, I mean, for me... But at the same time, you, yeah. you probably ha had friends who started painting and they look like also part of a system of like, oh, that's what's expected, that's what sells, so you start painting. Yeah, I would say even in tech, like, there are a bunch of, like, um, narratives that are, like, pretty fixed where it's like, you know, you first you go, you grind your teeth at a startup, you earn your, like, you know, your respect, and <clears throat> then you can, like translate that into a, you know, maybe a later stage startup and negotiate to get more options. And then that's like going to exit soon. And so then you get your, like your exit money and now yeah, you can yeah, like yeah. go. And then, and then if you're really tough, you never sell and you become Zuckerberg. <laughs> right. Something like that. But and yeah, eventually like, so the, there are these, um, there's a bit of determinism, but then there's a bit of like, well, ha guiding, like, um, kind but, of, but for example, you could have this, um, conspiracy mind where you're like i'm being taught that creativity and independent creation and entrepreneurship are the highest values mm -hmm. so i'm not happy until i've achieved that and that happens through tv shows and to, through funding and all kinds of things and so the question my question maybe is are we taught that these things are something we should strive towards or are they actually the most interesting way of life mm -hmm. and 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 that's the interesting thing to me that that we're being sold the dreams well it's funny too because you were asking yeah. me when i was going to start a business but to me that it, i know for a fact that's like um a little bit of a death sentence right because it's very hard to get out of a business once you start one i mean people do it all the time okay well that yeah that was my question so it, it, are it the higher powers who then the apples and the microsofts who sponsor these tv shows mm. and these articles so that everybody starts doing their r&d for free basically mm -hmm. and then they can just buy up the successful ones like do they maintain a culture and ask biographers and because there have been cases of mass psychology that firms were hired to mm -hmm. create banana republics or I, I don't even know the details but you you know what i mean mm -hmm. with this sort of nudging mass psychology to create an illusion and, and and then move so i'm saying it's hard to convince an individual but it's easy to convince a mass okay but let's look at, look at the other side of the coin right like the anarchist or the person with the perception who who kind of gives off this perception of total freedom and radicalism right they're often and individual decisions which i think a lot of art history or the last 200 years were founded on 
the artist being completely free of of economy or society. Yeah, and they just kind of like, or you know, yeah, and even authors, musicians who kind of live life to the beat of their own drum, so to speak, right? Like, yeah, um, the Jack Kerouac mm-hmm. myth. Myth. Of, yeah, how free were they? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, at every point you mentioned, there there's a decision tree, right? And I think the way I've seen it described is like, you know, you start in your twenties, and it's why like you know, in your 20s, you're full of hope and optimism because basically the tree is infinitely large or it appears that way, right? And then you make certain decisions and you realize, oh, I, it, I actually, that pathway is no longer available to me, but it's an illusion. Of course it is. It's just like there are infinitely more pathways available in a different direction, right? As you get further away from a direction that would have previously been available to you. And I think where am I going with this? Like some of what you're saying is a lack of freedom is a perception of a lack of freedom versus an actual lack of freedom. Like we always have choices and I'm always work. It's funny because as a manager, you know, you asked me how long I've been a manager in 15 years. Like I've noticed that the, the people that really struggle the most in a constrained environment, like a corporate culture, you're like, Oh, there's probably not that many options. There's actually like infinite options within that environment. Um, but many people will say, I have no options and that is a reason for their misery. Like, and, and then I'll sit down with them and be like, well, what gives you that? What's informing that assumption? Well, this happened and that happened. It's all in the past. And I'm like, well, what could we do in the future differently? And then they name a few things and they're like really basic things. Rather. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm like blue sky, dream of anything that might be possible. And it'll be like, it would be great if I had an assistant. Or something like that. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'm like, okay, oh. let's make that happen, right? And then like yeah. suddenly they're like, what? I can make that happen? Yeah, it's like, well, we can make all well, these that, things that's, happen. That's a really good point because I I feel like every era there's certain um, there's certain moonshots or whatever you call them, like directions that we're supposed to strive towards. And it, maybe the last 15 years, the the entrepreneur has been glamorized mm-hmm. with with TV shows and etc uh it's it's like the business person now took the role of the rock star i don't know it feels that way maybe maybe i'm wrong but Mm -hmm. and so we're being pushed that direction but then when you actually what i think is people often like the illusion of of a goal Mm -hmm. more than actually going for it and then if you actually were like okay here's 10 million of funding you set up a company and they're like oh wait a minute i like the idea of doing it someday. I don't want to do it today. Well, certainty is a very um, like desirable product. Uncertainty is not something oh, yeah. people really love yeah, to yeah, buy. Yeah. Like you don't walk into a store and be like, I'm, you know, I maybe want this thing to fall apart in my hands as soon as I pick it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, 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 there's a 10% chance this thing will work. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so what yeah. I've noticed entrepreneurs or founders are most comfortable with is walking away from something that didn't work. You know, like, and they can do that over and over and over again. And so it could be like a total disaster and they're willing to walk away, but they're also willing to stick with something they believe in. So like, you know, resiliency is an important characteristic. Yeah. Artists, I think, are similar and they often get compared to entrepreneurs, I think, for that reason where, you know, like I was thinking about it this morning because I was thinking about, oh, how's my practice going? Like, you know, I've like, cause there's some projects that haven't worked in the last few years and some that have, and then I have a new one that I was like, not sure about. So I didn't really crow about it, but it's kind of working out. And then I realized like, you know, I've accumulated, just like you, I've accumulated thousands of these little experiments 
And a good 10% have really been things I'd probably talk about today, like, and I'm proud of. Maybe you're different. Maybe it's like 100% for you, like you hit everyone as a home run. No, I, I never think of it in absolute terms. It's mm-hmm. more, if there's an exhibition, which combination of works makes sense in the exhibition? Yeah. I don't think of it qualitatively like this is better than that. Oh, no, that's interesting too. I think that's a difference. Which, like some, I think you you would think of management that way. Like there's not good or bad employees. It's just mm-hmm. combinations of people. Well, where I arrived this morning when I was just kind of sitting and contemplating was like, why does there need to be... Can I hold both positions in the same place at the same time? Can it be both unsuccessful and successful simultaneously? And is that okay? Like maybe it's successful for some people, successful for me. Maybe I got something out of it. And as... To your point, like, does it need to exist in this binary state of win or loss? Yeah, it's stupid. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about it that way because um, yeah. that's where I, I'm, I'm not sure of the answer. I was like trying to think through it this morning. Well, it, it's like the, the stupidest questions like, what's your favorite music? And mm-hmm. you're like, oh, the Beatles. But you don't want to listen to the Beatles every day, every day, morning, mm-hmm. breakfast, lunch and dinner, the Beatles. At some point, you're like, oh, I want to listen to something else. Yeah, but again, so I think then freedom comes down to comfort with uncertainty, like in, in, in a certain sense, right? Like the open road in the Kerouac sense of the word is the comfort with whatever comes along that road. Yeah, for a lot of people, that's miserable. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but well, actually, it's funny because in America, the idea of this, like the road trip, it doesn't exist in, the, in Europe, does it? Like, do people get excited no, for a road a good, trip? No, this is a really good example because... The road trip seems like an American thing because there's so much space. Mm-hmm. But it feels like most people go on vacation once every five years. They save for it and they go on a cruise, which is a literal prison. Oh, yeah, you're right. And people love it because In fact, you you'll pre- get sick too. You pre-buy all the packages so there's no unexpected costs. Mm-hmm. And it, it's literally a prison. It's like as close to a prison as you can be. Like on a ship with little cells. Mm-hmm. And you, you, there's like... a. Anyway, you get the point. Human, yeah. The way I grew up is like kind of hippie parents and they have a van that they customize, oh, yeah. they build things in it and then you camp out in the wild. There's no campsite. That's how we went on vacation. Uh, so it was much more, um, I don't know. It's free. Scrappy. It's scrappy, but it's free. But mm-hmm. it, so literally free if, too i mean if you yeah 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 but so the this idea that america is the place for the road trip might be true or might have been true at some point mm-hmm. but in my experience if i just see average americans it just feels very unfree they're like i have my starbucks card mm. and i get the, a discount i have my points at the holiday inn and then i always go to the same thing and i, I always yeah. it's more about standardization yeah yeah like how often do we walk out Onto like the people road. are obsessed with their credit card because they get points and then it's connected to an airline and then it's connected to a hotel and everything's predictable. I've, I've heard of people going on these Disney vacations and you can pre-buy the groceries so in your room there will be the cereal that you like and etc. Mm. And everything's personalized. You bring your Apple TV with you. That's interesting because so that's you, like the capitalist yeah. projection of personalization as the ultimate goal of any enterprise. Yeah, but it's funny because it's the opposite of freedom. Uh, uh, well... I guess it's the freedom of like to choose the freedom to choose what I want. I'm on the other side of the world, but I still want my honey nut Cheerios. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, for me though, like one thing I'm trying to get better at is like if I'm just walking down the street, I I never had Yelp when I you know was growing up before. I would just try a place, and some of my favorite restaurants of all time have been 
places that probably wouldn't even get good reviews. I think I think that's fine if you're walking through Tokyo and it doesn't work in Wyoming. <laughs> I see what you're saying. Where yeah. there where the choices are probably like the chance of a of a very bad experience is very high. Or no, the chance of it being bland and predictable oh, okay. is very high. And the chance of a of a cute family restaurant that's original and it does something different. Yeah. Yeah, because for 2023 I've set a goal to go to a diner every um week here in Calgary. Like a different okay. diner. Um, they have good diners in Calgary? They're just weird. Like, okay. <laughs> like I went to a truck stop one last week. And and what do you get at those diners? Well, one of the things that I, like, I didn't know what to get at first, but then I started seeing, like, some of these old classics show up on certain menus that I hadn't seen in years since I was a kid, like liver and onions and stuff like this, and, like, mm. hamburger, like, sandwiches. <laughs> like, I always, uh, like... I always like turkey sandwiches in a, in a diner. diner. Yeah. Especially if they have roasted turkey that they carve or something. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the diner is, is... America's funny because you can go anywhere and have the same breakfast in, in this whole continent. Yeah, the working man's breakfast, breakfast, yeah. Yeah. Get that two sausages, two slices of bacon, eggs sunny side <laughs> up with a side of toast, <laughs> yeah. fry or whole wheat or yeah. white. Yeah. Yeah. And a bottomless cup of coffee. Yeah, but that was like that exists. You're right about the road trip kind of having standards built into it. Even back then, the motel, you know, was some a reliable format. Like it was familiar, you could recognize. You know, and it was about making it safe for you to There's, be free. Yeah, I guess. There's a movie by Wim Wenders called Alice in the in the City or Alice and the Cities. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we reviewed it in. in our I don't think so. Period. No. No. And the story starts with this German guy who just did a road trip in the U.S. and he gets to New York to fly back to Germany. Mm -hmm. And he was kind of disappointed because he's like, every town is the same. There's a main street and a coffee shop. And this was still early 80s, so it wasn't as standardized Mm -hmm. as now. Yeah. And then he gets back to Germany. There's a whole other plot, but he gets back and Chuck Berry is playing in Germany on a festival. (laughs) And of course, Chuck Berry is the most exceptional performer and he he embodies this idea of freedom mm-hmm. because he's and so you have this idea that america is almost better experienced outside of america so you're at a festival in germany and you're free to do whatever mm. and you can be naked you can drink in public all these things but then chuck berry is there is the symbol of american energy and he writes the best rock and roll songs in my opinion he's yeah. the best rock and roll performer so he he embodies freedom. It's a, it's a symbol of freedom. But you go to America and it's not Chuck Berry everywhere. It's funny you mention that. It's just as an aside, I heard that Amsterdam is cracking down on public uh, smoking oh, yeah. and drinking because <laughs> they're more strict on weed now than the U.S. Yeah, because the people were acting too free. As, but they didn't use that word. They were like, "There's too much. There's too much like public." intoxication and i guess well it's not just that it uh, i grew up in, in maastricht which is at the border with belgium mm-hmm. and so weed was legal semi-legal in the netherlands and illegal in france and belgium and you just have so many people only coming for the weed and it's just mostly men between 15 yeah. and 25 and it's they just roam like the streets, hor- yeah. hordes of them and that's just not a good vibe like yeah I get it. I mean, you're you're anti-men to begin with, so that's good. I hate you those understand. men. I hate them. Yeah, but you would you wouldn't want an influx of tourists that's only guys between age fifteen and twenty-five. 
Yeah, it's funny because here on, like, just in Calgary, random Canadian town, every street corner has, like, a, a cannabis shop, right? Like, but there's definitely not roaming people. But I get it, it's more of a brand thing, I guess. In, in the case of Amsterdam, it was when I was growing up, it was viewed as this, like, place you would go. Hedonism. Yeah, anything was possible in Amsterdam. But that's, that's exactly my point. So you, you introduce freedom. But then there's the whole thing. You're going to Amsterdam. You've got to try the weed. You've got to try the coffee shops. You've got to try. Yeah. And it becomes, there's nothing free about it anymore. Yeah. Or it, it, and, and that's the same with a wedding or with carnival or any yeah. celebration. Yeah, what are you're the like, five It's Christmas. You have to feel cozy. Yeah. You can't be by Don't yourself. Don't miss your chance. Yeah. yeah. And like, if you're like, you know what I like to do at, at Christmas? I like to go to Walmart and just uh, spend the day there. Yeah. People are like, what's wrong with you? Well, yesterday we drove up to the mountains and we did do a tourist attraction thing. Um, first we drove around a little bit, which we've done a number of times, but then we had, you know, there's this thing you're supposed to do. And I was like, Kristen, we've got to do it. We really should do if this. If you're thing. in Calgary, you got to do this it. Bam- you know, it's going up the, the mountain on the side in a gondola or whatever. And then, you know, walking around on the top of a mountain. But I actually haven't seen Kristen. Like, I took this little video of her getting into the gondola and going up. And I I swear to God, maybe she had just had a double espresso. But it was like the joy in her eyes and face <laughs> was so incredible. And so, you know, the anticipation of freedom <laughs> was of great, great value to her as someone who, you know, for most of the weeks is is really grinding it out, like as a new te- yeah. new, uh-huh. new teacher of teachers. Well, yeah, and I, I think I've been taught to hate regular stuff mm-hmm. like by my parents. They're just like, normal people suck, that's not for us, da da da. So it, it, it's not a choice. It's like I've been conditioned to not like mainstream stuff. Yeah, yeah but let's bring this back to the artist. So like, you know... For, yeah, yeah, for, but, um, but especially in art school... Like, no, that's what I mean. You're, you're going to be taught like... That's not for us. We're a different group. Sure. So at the outset, like art destabilizes normalcy, right? Like, or art school does. It says like, hey, ask a question before you go to Starbucks. Like, you know, why why am I going or something like that? And when you're going to make something, you know, ask, why am I making this? Like, so it starts with this injection of a question, even though that question, I think you've, you would describe that as a controlling question, whereas I would describe it as like a choice branching question because it's or is it conditioning well that's could be my conditioning right which is by asking why i give myself the option to look at all the other options um and but you know i think true freedom it, like the way yeah, i heard yeah, you but describe it, it, it is it, like i mean it, it it's kind of a, a why 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 thing mm-hmm. you can always ask why but if you're being taught to question starbucks other people might say if you always go to Starbucks, your mind is free to think about other things mm-hmm. that you don't have to think about coffee. Because if you're questioning everything, it's hard to be creative on, on what's your actual goal, and which might not be drinking coffee. Mm-hmm. But the like, but I feel like I've heard you say on this podcast before, like you know, true freedom comes from abandoning the logic of choice, right? Like for like, stop asking why and just do what you feel. Like you're always yelling at me not no i my, my whole thing my gut instinct is that there is no freedom whatsoever i don't feel free at all mm. i i'm a, a a product of many factors and i moved to new york which is a total prison <laughs> it's it's and i love it, it I, like but it's um it, it became i became so imprisoned that i used to crave travel and going everywhere mm. and now the thought like my friend went to rio for three weeks he's like do you want to come and i'm like 
no, but I'm going to miss going to Kokoran and I'm going to miss having lunch with that person every week. I have such a routine here and things that the idea of leaving this prison is... is well, there, you yeah, know, there's a I, book in management and it's called The Prisoners Are Running the Asylum. Yeah, exactly. And that's the, a lot of people say that about New York. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the inmates are the, the prison guards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and we're all keeping... Like the sociology of the matter is that we're, yeah, we're all keeping check on one another to keep the social norms yeah. in place. But New York is this place where people go who are obsessed with work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then the rest of the world seems a bit slower and... Uh, yeah. So where do you feel most free? Like, I don't think about freedom. That it, it, I think it's an interesting topic to talk about. But mm-hmm. for example, the idea of going on vacation, I don't feel free. It's like, oh, you have to go to the beach or you have mm-hmm. to go hiking mm-hmm. or you have to go to the jungle. And you can't go on vacation and just stay at the airport. That That's not a vacation. There is a period in my life where, you know, between... Probably, I think it's gone now, and I want, but I just want to describe it. It's a personal story, which you're always urging me to share. But where I was going to school, and then I started working, and I was doing doing my first really hard work, you know, like really putting everything out there, like working overtime and stuff. And then I would have a vacation from time to time, and I wouldn't have time to plan anything, so I would just plan to spend a week with my parents at, they had like this kind of summer home or whatever that I used to spend a lot of time as a kid, like whole summers at. And I would go there and I would just like fall asleep for (laughs) for three days. And I remember having a partner being like, we're on vacation. All you do is you arrive here and you just like, you read magazines and you fall asleep. And I'm like, this is the only place (laughs) and only time I can think of in the world where I truly feel at ease, like fully, like immersed in like. I feel that way in 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 Rio on the beach because I've been going there since I was a kid, mm. and uh, it's just perfectly happy just sitting. Yeah, I don't have to worry like what's the best gelato, <laughs> like where, where what are the five best walking tours of you know I can just yeah yeah yeah, no. just be present. But the, it, it, it's also interesting that there's this place where you can go which feels really happy, and then. I would go to Rio and people are like, why don't you just move there? It's so nice, mm. etc. But then after three weeks, it really feels like, okay, that was a good amount. Exactly. It's time to... Yeah. yeah, and that used to happen at this place too, at my parents' place. Um, eventually, I would have this hankering for quote-unquote reality. Like, what's going on in town? You know, if you've ever done a residency, like, and it's on like a farm or something, yeah. or just outside of town... Uh, everyone's happy for a few days and then then there's like the first trip into town and everyone wants to go to town. What's going on in the structured world <laughs> beyond yeah, the limits yeah, yeah. of this commune? Yeah. So it always felt like that. But the, the, one of the things we've been conditioned to believe is that more money gives you more freedom. Mm. That is a general belief that I think everybody is at a certain economic level and they're like, if I could double my salary, mm-hmm. that's when I really could do anything I want. And the thing I've noticed making more money... I was or felt more free when I had less money. And, and maybe course. that's just being young, but it, it's... But it maybe but coming back to my original question, you had fewer options as well, and therefore, yeah. you know, you didn't have to make a decision yeah. about what to do yeah. with it. You know, like, yeah. it was a decision about... Like, your decisions no, were kind of set. Eat. It goes back to that <laughs> thing of the, the entrepreneur being in their 20s, mm-hmm. and they have less obligations or rituals of, uh, that not tied down, and that keeps your mind open. Well, I think my point from earlier was like choice in some ways l- 
like even though it's counterintuitive limits freedom because you then have to study the choice yeah and so like similar to the restaurant story we're talking about like as soon as i have to choose between five coffee shops i now have i sure have the freedom to go to all five but i don't have all the infinite time right there's always this scarcity of time and so now i have to like focus my attention on where where am i going to get the best experience with the limited time i have and 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 also the the idea that you can see all the options around the entire globe at all times. Mm-hmm. So your mind is always like, yeah, this coffee shop in my town is pretty good. But I saw this TikTok about this coffee shop in Australia that's supposed to be way better. Yeah. And so I think we grow up knowing not just your neighborhood and exploring that, but the whole world happens all at once and in, in your peripheral and everything is at the same time. So that occupies your mind a lot. So in a way... There's the freedom to go anywhere and to see everything, but it's also a prison of, I, of opportunity. I, I feel cost, like, yeah, yeah and, and a prison of distraction or a prison of, of uh, your life being insufficient because there's so many awesome ways to live that you're not doing. At the same time, it's like we, we warned, it was like a trigger warning at the beginning of this episode. It feels extremely privileged, obviously, to describe choice as a prison. <laughs> It's like, because most people don't. I I understand your point, but I feel like a lot of people suffer from this because at every economic level, there's, it seems that social media is this envy machine. And so Mm -hmm. it creates this, um, back to the attention economy. It's, it's optimized to grab your attention and to make you feel, Mm -hmm. uh, unfulfilled or it's, it's, it's a machine that creates desire. So at every economic level, um, I think Tom Sachs talked about that, that a lot of people have a job they don't want to then retire and to then do the thing they actually want. Mm-hmm. But then by and then th- they can't because they're unhealthy. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, what I really want to do is have a, a wood shop where I can make Quaker furniture. Like for a lot of people, that seems like what they want to do when they retire. Mm-hmm. And his whole thing is like, do it now. why not do that right now and, mm-hmm. and make a living that way? Yep. Um, so... But I feel like we're breaking down the terminology so much that it's losing any meaning, the, the, the word freedom. But I understand that you could read this episode as like a bunch of spoiled people who are so no, no, I, mean, I don't want to go down that, that they don't even yeah. value it anymore. But I feel like a lot of people suffer. No, but from I think this. if we put it, pull it back all the way to a piece of paper and a pencil, like if if you will, right? Like, and I often do an exercise with folks that are having you know, struggling to manage their time where I'm like, draw four circles on this page. Now put the four most important things in your life, one in each circle. And if there's anything more than that, I want, it's not going to, you know, it, it doesn't fit, I see. you know, in those yeah, circles, yeah. It's, it doesn't belong on the page. And so they, you know, they start to put things down, be like, well, what's the most important thing? Family. Okay. What's next? Most important friends. All right. And what about, uh, what's, what else? Well, well, I have this that, hobby. That's a very, that's a very good Example, we're all taught that family is the most important thing. It, it's, it, it's a mantra that it's outside of religion. It's something everybody always says. The thing that matters the most is family. But where do people have the most fights? It's with family. Mm-hmm. So we're taught to spend time with family and family is valuable. And if your relationship with your family is not good, you're not a good human being. All these things. Yeah. And maybe family is not that awesome because you don't choose them. You choose your friends. Maybe. So... I mean, what I love, inevitably I, the no, conversation. I love my family, but yeah. I feel like a lot of people suffer from like I I don't get along with my parents. Da, 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 da. 
Well, I, my whole point about this talk about freedom is that to get rid of expectations and, and conditioning. Yeah. Like maybe family is not for you. No, no, but I love that you're saying yeah. this because this is inevitably where the conversation goes. Because they, they uh, inevitably they get to five or six things they want to put on in the circles. Yeah, yeah, but but the five things, how much of those no, no, are no, things they actually want exactly. or that they were taught? Exactly. Yeah. And so then I say, like, well, what could we turn off? Like, which one of these could we turn off? For a while, and we can always turn it back on later, but so that we have time to do this other thing. And this is where things get exciting. Because, uh, you know, someone will be like, well, I guess I could like not see my friends for a month while I do this thing that's really important to me. I was like, really? You could do that. Yeah, that's a choice. You could do that. Like, oh, I could, you could turn your family off for a little while. Yeah. Oh, I'm not sure I could do that. Well, why don't you see if you could do that? Right. And so, it, but it, again, it's like what I said earlier, which is like the assumption that you don't have choice ends up being the limiting factor to freedom versus like sitting down and really looking at what your choices are. Um, and I just encounter this so often and in myself, it's hard to control. So I recognize why it happens, but you need like, you need, like, I need you, Raph, like most of the time to question some of my choices. <laughs> and I, yeah. you know, and I know you sometimes need me too for the same thing. Yeah. I remember you calling me up and saying, hey, Jeremy, you just got married. Should I get married? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. But like, it's a pretty good deal to be with someone you love and like not and to like not have to worry about. Did you pick the right person? Because, you know, yeah. for all intents so in and purposes, sense, you have the that, best person in your life. That's an example where if you decide to be with one person the rest of your life, that is a huge a choice. removal of freedom. Yeah. Of, you're removing choice, but at the same time, you open up a whole world because you you don't you're not a prisoner of exactly constant yeah exactly. And I think I remember telling you like it was the best decision I ever made, and I still believe that's true today. Like I was you know kind of tearful, not to get like that thing I said about I watched that video of Kristen's joy yesterday over and yeah, over again. Yeah. I and ended the day with just like so much joy in my heart. Yeah, you know, getting to share I mean, a that, moment that, with someone. I feel like there's always the question whether luck exists and that it's also tied to freedom. But if you do find someone you want to spend your life with, that's pretty lucky because it's not a given. I, I, I think a huge, uh, a huge percentage of my friends are all going through divorces or breakups. Mm. And it's just not a given you're compatible with someone. It's true. It's not, yeah. But at the same time, like I wouldn't say we're uh, like, we have all the same interests. Like if you put us into like, one of those dating apps or something like that. I don't think it would actually <laughs> put us together, like, no the way. algorithm, <laughs> yeah. because we're very different in almost every way. And for that reason, I find her endlessly fascinating. <laughs> you yeah. know? Um, and when we do find like these things that are universal, it's so much, I don't know, for me, it's really yeah, but beautiful. It, for me, this is the example also of we're conditioned to think that you're incomplete unless you're with, Mm, life that's true as well and maybe that's not true and maybe that taboo can be lifted and be like well i'm more of a free person or i'm more I no like it's my a, personal yeah. choice i definitely would not pressure like because as soon as you make that choice by the way everyone's like when are you having kids or whatever right and we made the explicit choice not to have children which is controversial like among some groups yeah. of people because we're yeah. selfish or something even though it was for medical reasons but like um you Get, that's a choice you get to make that a lot of people feel like they can't make because they're let down their parents, you know, the family choice. I've made that choice and now I have to make this choice. And so it's like compounding. Um, but for me, at the end of the day, it all comes down to you are kind of the designer of your own life. And this is the thing that I try 
maybe if I was yeah. to start a business, it would be a coaching business on how to like train people to like make their own decisions and stand by them and maybe reverse them if they're wrong. Like just because you made yeah. a decision doesn't mean you can't change it as well. I, I also thought like if your life is about 80 years yeah, and then there are these decades and they're like chapters in a mm. book and do you want each chapter to be the exactly. same or do you want a bunch of different chapters? Oh, I love that point because I was like, it was like I'd only thought for maybe 10 minutes whether I should move to Calgary with Kristen because I was like, I've been in the same chapter in Toronto for like yeah, yeah, yeah. over 10 years now. Like a chain, what's the worst thing that could happen? Of course, a lot of bad things happened <laughs> to me personally <laughs> right after that. But I mean, like what we talked about a few episodes back in regards to my eye, it's a lived experience. And so if I value all lived experience, like kind of equally, I guess, you know, in a how, way, there's no bad choice. Now? It's feeling a little bit better every day, actually. I'm seeing a cornea specialist on uh, monday tomorrow yeah and uh have they said anything like, about you going on an airplane i'm going on a plane on on uh wednesday actually wednesday morning oh where to um well this was the other thing about going up the mountain yesterday it was a choice but it was a choice that wasn't available to me until just a few weeks ago and i got the clear to go up in altitude quickly yeah and so for me it was actually like this kind of celebratory moment of like, yeah. I can be in the sky again. I'm going to go to Vancouver. This, uh, this summer, uh, hopefully you guys can come. We're going to spend two weeks in Long Island. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I'll be, How's I, that looking? That's looking great. Like, well, you know, okay. assuming this Wednesday, like the flight, I don't end up in yeah. the hospital so again. You know, It's the first two weeks of August. Mm-hmm. No, and I should be going to Berlin later in the spring. So back to my old German friends, which is like, yeah. Um, you know, the other home away from home and seeing you in New York is the other one. Um, these are the, do you, know. do you ever talk to people in Berlin who grew up in, in, in the East side? Yeah, of course. Cause I've always found that fascinating. Like how imprisoned did they feel or how free did they feel? And, uh, yeah, I've talked to, I, um, Sikorsky a lot about yeah. this. The, yeah. Who runs and, and I remember, I think I was talking to him and also other people and they often talked about there was less of the rat race feeling. Mm-hmm. So that's a certain. I mean, he had a hustle, you, like selling records from the West and the yeah. East, but yeah. But there's there's less of that pressure. There was more time for academia and, and sports. Mm-hmm. But there was also the secret police and this fear that you would misspeak and it would have big repercussions in your life. And yeah, yeah, there was also there was limited consumer choice for sure. Like there were which which is a freedom in itself. Mm-hmm. Like oh, I don't have to have cool jeans. It's okay. Like you don't have to think that the, the example of. In communist China, they always everybody had the Mao suit, the, the cotton suit, mm-hmm. and it wasn't a law; it was just a social norm. And everybody had two of those, and you would wash the one with, while you're not wearing it, and then wear the other. So think of the freedom of never having to think about style or fashion your whole life. You would love it, probably. I mean, that's like the kind of Steve Jobs and Zuckerberg uh, school, yeah. Thought, which is it which, takes a certain a, share of your attention. Which is a fu- it's almost like there's two opposite ends of the spectrum of capitalism <laughs> and, and communism, and they both end up at the same place of a uniform, so you don't have to think about clothing. Well, I think it comes back to the 
four circles on a page, which you could ref, you know refer to as four burners on a stove. You can still take you can take fashion off for a while, which I do. I'm wearing you know sweatpants and a hoodie. It always fascinates me to look at what old people eventually decide on. Right? It's like at some point, you know, for most of them, fashion is I no longer. I think you look at North American old people. Mm, there are very high style old people. Because you 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 could look at the French aristocracy oh, yeah. and be like, oh yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Fashion just becomes more and more important to them. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Well, yeah, it depends on where you are and what's important. Anyway, um, I mean, if if you go by that logic of old people, then you can reduce food to porridge because that's all you need. Yeah. Oh, but that's what I eat for breakfast every morning. Yeah, and then yeah, <laughs> I'll never change yeah. that. Yeah, that's been true my entire life. It's the one constant. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So freedom doesn't mean anything, basically. Basically, it's kind of yeah. I think it. You could be free and unfree at the same time. Yeah. And if we sound privileged, well, we are. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I've, I mean, everyone has some intersection of privilege, but certainly I've had the, a good deal of great luck, a good luck. I, I feel like you're not privileged at all because you're really working for the dollar every day. Mm. I, I don't see you as privileged at all. You always had a job and you're supporting Kristen and you don't buy much for yourself. And I, I, you, I mean, you have an okay job. It's not, you're not picking up trash, but mm-hmm. you're definitely part of the, this. Yeah, Kristen says I've world. been like kind of indoctrinated into a work ethic that's unhealthy. Or something. <laughs> like, yeah, well, they, they talk about uh, um, conditioning. Yeah. yeah, and that probably came from my parents or my refugee kind of grandparents, and yeah, and it's totally fine. I'm not. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, mm. but I don't see you. What I see as privilege is people who never had to work. It always had economic security from the parents and um, mm. yeah yeah I don't take anything for granted but a lot of what the, the rule of privilege is whether it's earned or unearned um, and we yeah but I guess the, the, in the art world you run into people who are just independently wealthy or the, their family is and they always start businesses that never work mm-hmm. and they can fail as many times as they want and there's no repercussion if they fail. It's a good point behind every founder. I mean, not everyone, there are lots of different founders, but, um, you know, if you really kind of talk to quite a few of them, you'll find there's a support network, either friends or family that have helped them. And this is actually not a negative. I think it's actually a positive in, in so much as like friends and family, which are those two circles, are very important in a lot of people's lives to their other choices, right? Yeah, and that's and that's total luck. That has nothing to do with work ethic. It's just the family you're born into. The friends you went to school with kind of thing. Hmm. No, the, the school is, is already like you're 18 and you, you did the work to get into a certain school, get the right curriculum, mm-hmm. get the right uh, uh, score on your SATs or whatever. Yeah. That's, that's already, there's some merit there. But family is just like, oh, yeah, I'm born here. Mm. That's it. So we do have a field recording that kind of is, this is a choice here of freedom. When I think of freedom, I think of the freedom to take a 24-hour flight <laughs> to another corner of the world. And to uh, turn on a microphone. Yeah. And the, yeah, so, so we have a, a field recording here from Nadine of uh, Sunday, Saturday morning in summertime in Melbourne, right? Because it's winter here for me. I could, if I don't like winter, I could choose to go south of the equator. Yeah. And or I could just listen to this field recording. Well, thanks, Nadine. But you like being indoors anyway, so winter doesn't. Really <clears throat> I like a mix. I like a varied diet, as they say, right? Like, mm. um, 
seasons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Throw life at me. I'll see what I do with it. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, let's listen to the field recording. Uh, Thank you, Nadine. And then uh, see you guys next time. Draw something. (laughs) Yeah. That's my call to action. All right. Be free. Thanks, everyone. Bye -bye. Bye. Bye.